Now. Three, two, one, go! What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 52 of the Cool Down Time podcast. I am your graphically impressive host of the show, Marco, and later on I'll be joined by my co-op, co-host extraordinaire, and new dad, Pablo, to help me talk about gaming's best and bootiest. Um, Pablo is still um, on limited availability this week as he is... Uh, Let's just say he's changing them dipes and burning through them wipes, as it were. And so, uh, spe- speaking of poops, uh, I will say this. Pablo did get on Twitter, and he did admit that everything I said in the last episode about how he'd be pooping is absolutely 1,000% accurate. Guys, I told you. I-, I told you I wasn't making it up. Okay, this man will get in the bathroom and, and require the length of a full-blown motion picture film to finish pooping. Not quite Christopher Nolan movie long, because he doesn't like Christopher Nolan. He doesn't take that much time. He doesn't want to be associated with Nolan like that. But he will take some time. All right? So he's out here in these streets. He's pooping everywhere. All right? So grocery stores, theme parks, get there early. Because he's out here and he's pooping. All right? Now, in this episode, we will be covering Pablo's bowel status... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, we'll be covering uh, the future of Square Enix. We'll be covering, uh, hey, Xbox woke up, and they are going to have their first showcase of 2022 uh, in about a month from now. So we're going to talk about that event and what to expect, and we're going to talk about a lot more. We have we have a lot of stuff to talk about, actually, so it's going to be a fun one. So if that sounds good to you, you know it would sound good to me, you subscribing to us. Now, I have no idea what the sound of you subscribing to us actually sounds like. I'm kind of hoping for like a, a, a whispery little moan. That, that, that'd be nice. A little, maybe, maybe a loud moan. It doesn't matter. It could be a soft moan, a loud moan, a, um, a cha moan, whatever you want to do. <laughs> if you're in a Michael Jackson kind of mood, I guess. I don't know. It's up to you. I don't know. But we, we would appreciate a subscription Nevertheless, we drop new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, other popular streaming apps. So we're there when you need us and where you need us. I don't know what the problem is. We seem pretty normal. At least I do. You can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast or Twitter at Pod if you want to stay connected with us in between episodes or get some poop-related confessions from my co-host. It's up to you. I don't see why you'd want to miss out on that, though. That's just me. But in any case, it's time to go ahead and get this show started, and you know how we always do that. It's with loadouts, so let's get it. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, everybody. I got two games that I want to talk about this week in my loadouts. I'm going to start with one that actually just dropped. It's an indie title called Trek to Yomi. Uh, this one is available on Game Pass. I think it's also available on PlayStation and PC, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I could be wrong, but when does that ever happen? Anyways, um, so Trek to Yomi. This is the um, the the black and white Kurosawa style samurai flick inspired 
um, video game that was announced not too long ago. And I think it has kind of been one of those indie games that people have been keeping an eye on, are really excited about because of its style and aesthetic, um, how true to form it seems to be with the old um, samurai flicks. It has that really old, grainy, scuffy-looking style to it. Um, has some of the same, um, you know, imagery and and hey, it's it's a samurai game, so what's not to like, right? So it drops on Game Pass. Um, I can't say that I put a whole lot of time into it because, quite frankly, I'm I'm I, I'm not really liking it too much, to be honest. And I, I think I'm I might be in the minority. I'm not sure, but it, it just had a, a a weird amount of hype and anticipation. Uh, leading up to its release, and I'm not sure, because because even when it was announced, I was like, I don't, I'm not really seeing the appeal here. I mean, it looks okay, you know, but I'm not sure if it's looking super great. But nevertheless, I figured, okay, it's on Game Pass, I'll try it out, and I, I'm just not impressed. I think the uh, the gameplay to me and the performance of the game is are probably the two biggest issues. I'd probably throw the the story in there too as a third issue, but that's a little subjective but um the gameplay to me seems very rudimentary um extremely simplistic um not very fun as well um you know the action of 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 sword combat and and general player movement don't feel the best really at all um there's not a lot of interesting combos you can do or a lot of cool looking moves and most of the time, the animations that are happening with your character or even the enemies uh, just don't look all that awesome, or um, they don't give you the right kind of cues, especially when you're trying to do things like parrying. So I just found that the the combat for me was um, pretty unremarkable to not so good, frankly. Uh, so I wasn't a big fan of that, and, and the performance of this game is atrocious. I mean, this game makes Elden Ring look like an Insomniac game in terms of a buttery smooth performer. Like, this game performs terrible. I couldn't tell if this game was actually striving for 30 frames per second as a cap or if they were striving for 60. And I realized they're kind of striving for anything. (laughs) It doesn't seem like the frame rate is is capped. So if you're a frame sensitive person like me, this game goes from looking extremely smooth to unbearably choppy with almost no real provocation at all when it comes to what you're actually doing in the game in that moment. I mean, the art styles and the, and the visuals are, are, are generally pretty nice. I think they do a good job of, you know, nailing the look of these old samurai flicks pretty well. But in a way, it just seems like it's all looks and no brains. And I think that's just kind of disappointing. The story, it's it's tropey. It's supposed to be tropey, I guess. It's supposed to be the burned village, sensei's dead, I'm out for revenge type of storyline. And if you're into that kind of... um, you know, samurai flick stuff, you, you, you probably are going to be fine with that. I guess I was expecting something a little bit more creative, um, not just something that's imitating another thing. Um, but that's just me. I, that one I leave up to subjectivity. I don't fault them for striving to 
capture some of those story tropes from the from the old school, you know, samurai flicks. I just thought they would have tried something a little bit more unique or something that at the very least was better translatable to the video game medium. Uh, and this really didn't do it for me. So, uh, Trek to Yomi is not, it's just not a game I'd recommend. Um, I, I don't see any reason not to try it if you have Game Pass, but if you are on a different platform and you're considering uh, purchasing the game, I think that the combat and performance issues alone are, are, are worth a no uh, in and of itself. But if you are like obsessed with the art style and you don't mind the um, admittedly and intentionally corny tropes of that game, then give it a shot. Um, but it's just it's it's not a great game in my opinion, and uh, it seems like you know critically right now I think it's in the low seventies on Open Critics, so I it, I think people are kind of you know mediocre. It, it's it's getting the the ho hum sort of treatment with its reviews, and I think that's just about right. So it's a pass for me. Second game I've been playing, uh, this one I actually finished um, my my Uncharted replay saga continues with Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. Rolled credits on that, actually, um, not too long after I recorded the last episode. Um, I've been putting... Man, listen, at least in terms of the PS3 Uncharted games, I've been putting these hoes on easy, okay? Because hoes are supposed to be easy. (laughs) Um, No, but I've been putting them on easy. Listen, I'm not looking for a challenge, in any capacity when it comes to Uncharted games, um, it, really at all. Uh, so Uncharted 2 dropped it down to easy, and I was really surprised at how much I hated this game when I came back to it. I know that a lot of Uncharted fans, especially my friend uh, who you know made this wager with me to replay them all, it's probably rolling their eyes right now. Like, how could you not like Uncharted 2? For a lot of people, it's their favorite game of the series. For me, on the other hand, this game was an exhausting, exhausting experience from start to finish. This game is almost the perfect encapsulation of what video games were like back then. It was all about set pieces. Booms, bangs, explosions, near-death experiences, hanging on to a ledge for dear life as you look down and see nothing but an endless drop. I'm hanging off of a train that's hanging off of a mountain in a snowy blizzard. It's like, how many impossible near-death situations can one man go through? And let's make a game for that. It just felt so, so juvenile in almost every way. And I, and I really think that's becoming the key thing that is driving me nuts about these old Uncharted games is how immature they seem to be. It, they're, they're like relics of a bygone era. Every couple of minutes, I, I'm either falling off of a ledge or I've got an aiming reticle aimed at somebody's face. Shoot, 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 jump, die, uh, fall, dive, climb back up, shoot, dive and fall and, and, and skid down and climb back up and shoot and shoot and kill. It's just so, so much 
of that. It's an overuse of bombast. There's little to no nuance in the storytelling. The story is a carbon copy of the first game, just with a couple of extra new characters, but the same type of villains, the same snooty premise, the same, uh, um, you know, secret, you know, city that they find, and there's supernatural things that are happening there. It's, it's just the same boilerplate story as the first game. Except there's more cinematic, bombast, and set-piece type of moments in there. I didn't like it at all. It was actually the first time where I thought, I'm not sure if I'm going to finish this challenge. I don't know if I can deal with another one of these. But I manned up. I beat it. I didn't like this game at all. In fact, I think in a lot of ways, not for nothing, I think the first game is a little bit better. At least it's more tolerable. I will say that. But I don't like Uncharted 2 at all. So I'm moving on to Uncharted 3. I'm actually playing a little bit of that now, but I don't want to talk too much about it yet. I want to wait till I'm done. I have a full picture um, of what that game is. I don't remember too much about it. Um, I did remember the intro being uh, like a flashback of when Nate was a kid. Um, and I, I've, I've finished that part already. I have no idea what the rest of this game is, though. So... <laughs> We'll see. Um, it seems a little bit better so far, narratively, but again, it's the PS3 era of Uncharted, a very immature and, you know, um, nuanceless version of Naughty Dog back then, and I don't have a lot of high expectations, but I'm making my way through these games, guys. I'm trying, but it's getting hard. <laughs> I'll just say that. But that is going to do it for loadouts this week. It's time to get into the new segment of the show that we call Hit Points, so let's go ahead and do that now. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, so we have four news items in this week's episode, so let's get started. News item number one. If you have been living under a rock, you might need to know that Embracer Group has acquired essentially the entire western branch of Square Enix as they've acquired Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IP including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Kane, and more for a total of $300 million. So the question is, and it's been a little while since this story broke, but now that the dust has settled on this deal, I wanted to kind of circle back to it and share some feelings about it. Um... And I have a couple things to say, um, but I, I, I want to kind of say just as an opener, I happen to find this deal pretty unremarkable. Um, I don't see this deal and I don't necessarily see much within this deal as a big deal. Unless we're thinking about like Tomb Raider and maybe Crystal Dynamics I think this deal is bigger in the minds of fans of or the gaming community than it is from a business standpoint. And that's probably pretty controversial, and I have a feeling Pablo would most likely, to some extent, disagree with that. Maybe not, I don't know. But here's my standpoint. It was clear that Square, for one reason or another was not going to crack the proverbial code called the Western market. 
their sales projections were way too high. They were astronomical, which placed a lot of unfair pressure and expectations on their Western-focused studios. And it just led to a trickle-down domino effect that resulted in more disappointments than bright spots, for lack of better terms. And so I'm not necessarily surprised that Square finally said, eh, you know what, this is, maybe we don't need all this. (laughs) Maybe we should refine and consolidate our strategy to focus primarily on um, our, our Japanese game development. Let's get into blockchain. Let's get into AI technology. Let's just start, let's start getting some capital to sort of funnel into new things or to at least double down on the things we know are working. And if you're square, I think despite your failures that led to this in the first place, that does make sense. The sticking point that I think a lot of people are having with this whole news is the amount of money exchanged in this deal, which as I said was $300 million. I think that <laughs> as gamers... When you think about all the headlines we've heard over the last couple of years about acquisitions here and there when this and that is passing hands and billions of dollars are exchanging hands as well, we can kind of get used to the billion numbers a little too much and then look at a deal like this and go, wow, it was only $300 million. Listen, guys. 300 million is a lot of money. Don't get consumed by 69 million dollars for Activision and 5.9 for Bungie and uh, whatever it was, 7.5 for for Bethesda, and think that that means this was just a little drop in the bucket. 300 million is a lot of money. Okay, it's a lot of money to spend. It's a lot of money to you know to to get back which is why Square is happy with this amount of money. They're very excited about having this capital. Like I said, to funnel into AI and blockchain and things they're interested in. Whether you think those are good moves for them as a company or not, they are more than happy with this amount of money and the debt that's likely being taken in as well with this with part of this deal. So they're on cloud nine. So 300 million, I get it in our gamer brains and, you know, news headline brains were thinking, wow, that's cheap. Why didn't Sony take them? Why didn't Microsoft do this? Well, let's talk about that. Folks, I think this is important to say, because when you hear the word Embracer Group, we're like, who? (laughs) And that's my point. Ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of players in this game, in the video game industry. It is not just all about Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. What they do, who they buy, when they buy them, how much they buy them for. The, the, the industry does not necessarily revolve around those three companies. There are a lot of big-time players in this industry with a lot of money to spend. And you might not have a clue who the hell they are. 
I'm talking about groups like this Embracer group. I'm talking about private equity firms. I'm talking about NetEase. I'm talking about Tencent. There are a lot of big time spenders in this industry. So we can't just get consumed with looking at an amount of money and saying, why didn't Sony do it? Why didn't Microsoft do it? First and foremost, Microsoft is trying to close the Activision Blizzard deal and can't really afford to take any more heat or pressure for monopolies and, and more litigation about this, that, and the third. They have, to, they have to sit down and shut up and wait for that deal to close before they buy a vowel, let alone another company. And if you're Sony, Sony's looking at this from a strategic standpoint and saying, okay, if you're selling Crystal Dynamics, they're already working with Microsoft and probably will be for the next few years. Not attractive to us. Plus, Marvel's Avengers was a flop. If we as Sony are focusing on live service games as part of our future, it probably doesn't behoove us to spend money on a studio that produced a failing live service game. Regardless of the context of why it failed, whose fault it was, if you're Sony, you're looking at it from a business standpoint and saying, I don't know about all that. If you're also Sony, and you're looking at Tomb Raider and going, hmm, but Tomb Raider's a part of this though, huh? I would say if I'm Jim Ryan, wait a minute, we have Uncharted. That's our Tomb Raider. <laughs> the games are some of our most revered and best, despite what Marco thinks. <laughs> and we just brought Uncharted to the box office, and it's killing it right now. We don't need Tomb Raider. It's a redundancy for our portfolio. Yeah, 300 million is a nice deal, but we don't, we don't need this. It's not part of our strategy. And that's the thing. Guys, I know I love Deus Ex. Pablo does too. I love me some Legacy of Cain. I'd love to see Thief come back, but that's a fan perspective. Business-wise, most of the IP that exchanged hands in this deal, with the exception of Tomb Raider, were a bunch of dead, dormant, or underperforming franchises. I hate to say that. I'm not trying to be mean about these IP. I love them. But if, if we're talking valuation of what was passed along in this deal, I would say most of that $300 million was probably for Tomb Raider and the studios. But I can't look at 50 back catalog games and see, you know, a bunch of old, untapped, unused, dead, decomposing franchises and say, why is it so cheap? <laughs> $300 million makes sense to me. And again, I know a lot of people are going to disagree, but I think from a business standpoint, it seems to be satisfying Square. It's certainly satisfying this Embracer group, which I believe are formerly THQ Nordic, if I'm not mistaken. So if they're happy, I'm happy. That's all I have to say. And as far as Square, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a move that's kind of positioning them for another acquisition or being acquired themselves by a, a Sony. That would make sense if you're Sony. You don't really care about, you know, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane. You care more about Final Fantasy, right? Potentially Kingdom Hearts. You know, you've already been working out these exclusives for Forspoken and Final Fantasy 16. You've already been smashing. Put a ring on it. 
but I digress. News item number two. After finally announcing an Xbox and Bethesda game showcase for June 12th, it's been reported that almost all Xbox teams have submitted something to show at the event. So the question is, now that Xbox is awake and preparing to show a lot of games at this show, potentially, what does Microsoft need to do and not to do for this showcase to be a success? Now, before I answer that question, I don't regret a single syllable of what I said last week about Xbox taking too long to talk about their games. Having to wait what'll now be six months and 12 days into 2022 to get our first look at what to expect from Microsoft from this year and maybe next year is and will continue to be unacceptable in my book. You can't take half the year off. I'm not going to repeat all the reasons why. If you want to know more and you didn't catch last episode, go check it out. It was a hell of a rant. But I just wanted to start there because, I, I, you know, look, I, I, they announced this right after our, or right before our episode went up last week. And I don't want people to think, oh, you know, well, what, you, what now? No, my point still stands, actually. It was too long of a wait. But nevertheless, we're here. We're here. The event is happening. The showcase is coming next month. Apparently, a lot of Xbox teams have something to show. That's really awesome on on the surface, but here's to answer the question of what Microsoft needs to do to make this showcase a success. There's there's two or three things that I have in mind. First and foremost, Starfield has to be incredible. This game cannot afford to come out and look like doo-doo. It cannot afford to come out and be presented at this showcase and look old, creaky, and like some 2011 bug Thesda experience all over again. That also means that Todd Howard cannot get out there and drop a bunch of annoying Todd Howardisms to hype up things about this game that don't end up becoming true. This man has a huge reputation. Most recently with Fallout 76. Of getting on the proverbial stage or literal stage. And dropping all these really buzzworthy notes and nuggets of information. This is the most extensive combat mechanics we've ever had this is the most this is the largest map and the largest game we've ever made in Bethesda history this is the most extensive mechanics and systems we've ever done in a Bethesda and then you get the game and you're like this is the same thing you always do every game why why did you say all that so I I say all that to say and I'm not trying to be cynical here or pessimistic it's just that I want them to be real about what this game is Don't sell me a dream. Be very upfront about what this game has to offer. Give me an honest, true-to-form look at what this game is about. 
instead of some ultra-tight, controlled, death-grip message of what this game is that's littered with a bunch of Todd Howardisms. I want to see what this game is actually about, minus the hyperbole and sensationalism from our boy Todd. Hopefully it looks good. I, I, I need to see some modern-looking gameplay. I need to see some modern-looking mechanics. I want, to, I want to make sure the NPCs don't look derpy anymore. They already talked their way into that one. They said, they, oh, we modeled a bunch of faces for our NPCs for more immersion. Okay, I got a pin in that. I got a pin in that, tower, uh, Todd Howard. Toward. <laughs> you know what I mean. But yeah, I, 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 need, I need to see that game and I need to see it look good. And that's probably a given. But here's the other thing. I think it's great that all these studios have submitted something for the event. That's really exciting. However, I do not need to see any new game announcements for games that are multiple years away. Much like I said last week, I do not like this long and ever-growing list of MIA games that get announced and go in the dark. Like Perfect Dark, like Everwild, like Avowed, like The Outer Worlds 2, like Fable. I'm tired of that. So I, I would really like for them to just focus on what's coming out this year and maybe through next year. And that's it. Anything that doesn't have the potential to come out in 2023 at the latest should not be shown at this event at all. Under zero circumstances. Xbox has a horrible habit of doing this. And so does Bethesda. They literally announced the Elder Scrolls 6 and then told us later, we haven't developed a single thing for this yet. <laughs> what? So I don't think we need more of that. The MIA games just have to stop getting announced. So I'm hoping that most of the stuff we see that is shown will be games that are at least intended to come out within the next year and a half. That's my biggest hope. Because I really want this event to be focused. You've acquired a lot of studios that, have made, that are making a lot of games and there's a lot of stuff that you have to flaunt off. But that doesn't mean that I just want a big bowl of gumbo of all things Xbox. I, I, want, I want something that is intentional, that is focused, that gives me a real, logical, and trackable roadmap for what to expect out of this year. And if I, and if I see them do that, then it, it, it should be a successful event. And it, and it sure as hell better be a better event than the Summer Games Fest that Jeff Keighley's doing a few days before. You better be better than Jeff Keighley. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's keep it with Xbox with news item number three. According to a recent report, 343 Industries has been working on a Halo spin-off game alongside the development of Halo Infinite. 
And the only question that I added in my docket here, based on this news story, is why? Why? (laughs) I try so hard to be nice, to be calm, cool, collected, composed, But 343 Industries seems allergic to making smart decisions. And they find new and inventive ways of getting on my last nerve. So as much as I want to try to not rant in another episode of the Cool Down Time podcast, I have no other choice. Because what? In the square root of hell is 343 Industries thinking. Halo Infinite is a mess from top to bottom, from helmet to boots. They have had problems since day one. Troubled development, high turnover, an abysmal first showing back in 2020, more development hell, a half-baked multiplayer, a goofy campaign with poor running cinematics, all kinds of bad headlines, Fans dropping off like flies. And somewhere in the middle of all this hell breaking loose, somebody at 343 Industries really sat down, called a meeting, gathered the troops, huddled up, and said, you know what, guys? It's time to make another Halo. I'm sorry, what? Am I in the Twilight Zone, or does it make more sense to devote your manpower to fixing Halo Infinite's mess than it is to make a whole spin-off game? This is the same studio that made us wait for co-op in the campaign. The campaign is unfinished, you guys. Don't know if you realize that or remember it. The campaign is not done yet. Because it is missing, dare I say, its most important feature that gamers have been used to in the Halo franchise since its inception. Which is co-op and campaign. That's already bad enough as it is. Now you try to top that by putting Forge on delay. And then you had to scramble because people were mad they didn't have anything to do in your game. And now you're putting Forge out early as some weird early access beta thing. You promised that you were going to add ray tracing in at a later date. That doesn't seem likely anymore. So you have a whole slew of things that you haven't done, haven't done well, and need to improve on. And somewhere in the middle of that, you decide, 
you know what we should do? Let's just start, let's just make a spinoff. What do you think of that, guys? I think that's a great idea. Me too. Are you kidding me? This is exactly what I mean. This is exactly why I said what I said about 343. This has got to be the most mismanaged, misguided, misdirected studio I have ever seen responsible for a company's most important franchise in the history of gaming. I've never seen anything like this before. I've seen some major first-party games have a down game and, and, or, or trouble development. I've seen that before. I'm not pretending I don't. But I have never seen anything like this. I've never seen a studio bomb as bad as they have for as many years as they have, like 343 Industries, and still find a way to mess it up even more by diverting their manpower and resources into making a spin-off game that nobody needs right now. What people need is for Halo Infinite to go back to being a good game and a game that people can come back to. And somehow, Phil Spencer, Sarah Bond, James Bond, or whoever the hell else is over there at Xbox is not, is not getting this company under control. This is why I get nervous about Microsoft sometimes, guys, because if they're going to let this happen to Halo, what kind of confidence am I supposed to have in how they handle their other first-party franchises? Halo is your biggest thing, hands down. Maybe that'll change down the line. Maybe it'll be more Starfield-centric. Maybe it's more gears down the road. I don't know. But right now, Halo is your most important IP, and this is what you're doing to that. And I'm supposed to turn around and be excited about everything else that you and your studios are cooking up. It's not a confidence-instilling move. It's irritating. And it's unnecessary and unacceptable. I said before, and I'll say it again, Halo Infinite, is, it, it should be their last Halo, Period. I don't even want a spin-off game from them. Get Halo Infinite back on track and get the hell out of this franchise. And maybe Xbox can repurpose one of the studios they got from the Bethesda deal or Activision and send them in and, and let them take over Halo because this company can't do it. Get them the hell out of here. I'm done. A spin-off game. While Halo's... Okay, all right. I'm moving on because I, I don't want to waste too much time going on with that because it, it's it's just... It is inexplicable. And, and I'm not being... Again, I'm not just pretending to be angry because I'm hitting record and talking on a podcast. I am a Halo fan. And this is just infuriating to me. And this type of headline, uh, once again gets lost in the in the sauce. It gets lost in the shuffle of all the Game Pass parades and Xbox market share and this and that. Guys, this is a problem. But nobody cares. I have learned a long time ago in the console war landscape that 
when a company that is used to being second place ends up in first, you can't tell their fans nothing. You can't. It's never a good time to level with them. It's never a good time to reason with them. Logic doesn't, doesn't go over. And bad headlines get brushed under the rug until it's a massive clump. And then they finally look around a year later and go, what's this? And that's what I feel like a lot of hardcore Xbox fanboys are doing right now. This is a problem that is not just Halo specific. This is a bad omen for what other first party Xbox franchises might put us through if there's not somebody there to to manage this. This autonomy thing is great when it comes to recruiting talent and making for a great workplace culture. I get that. But when your output is poor and doesn't make any sense and there's nobody there to say, hey, 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 wait a minute. Y'all can't be making no spinoff game to Halo. You got to fix what you made first. When there's nobody around saying that, that's spooky. That's spooky. I'm sorry. But let's move on to the fourth and final news item in our hit point segment. Speculation is running rampant that Ubisoft might be the next company on the acquisition block. With multiple private equity firms, oh, remember when I said that? Multiple private equity firms showing interest in a potential purchase. Ubisoft's potential sale seems to be stemming from their disappointing stock price and their persistent software production problems. So the question is, although no serious discussions have taken place just yet, what does this potential positioning for sale say about Ubisoft? I saved a lot of my anger for the 343 news item, but I have a little bit left over for Ubisoft because this says a lot about Ubisoft. This says a lot about karma. This says a lot about arrogance. This says a lot about poor workplace culture and sexual harassment. This says a lot about how they've shifted their strategy to money-mongering and NFTs and microtransaction hell over the last several years. Washing, rinsing, and repeating the same gameplay formulas across many franchises. Their affinity for announcing vaporware. It says a lot. And they have every teaspoon of this coming. They deserve all of it. Ubisoft has been on a path of destruction for years. And you couldn't tell them a thing about it. Because Assassin's Creed sold like hotcakes. Rainbow Six is still Rainbow Six. And and for all intents and purposes, not everything was gloomy and doomy in Ubisoft land. So they always thought they were on top of the world. But when you spend enough years not giving fans what they want putting out terrible Battle Royale games or other cash-grabbing games like, a, like, like when they tried that Ghost Recon Frontline game they had to cancel and this X-Defiant thing that they're doing. When you won't announce a new Splinter Cell for the life of you. When your Sands of Time Prince of Persia remake is, is going through hell on earth and you're announcing Avatar somewhere in the middle of all this. 
when you've done nothing with beyond good and evil. Yeah, yeah, this, this kind of makes sense. Your stock prices suck because you suck. So I'm not surprised about this really at all. As far as who buys them, I, I don't know if it matters who buys them. I, I don't think it's going to be Xbox or Sony. I don't think it's going to happen. If I had to choose which one I think would make the move, I think, honestly, I think Sony would be the one. But I, even then, I, I'm not sure if, they, if either party wants any part of this, especially for the sexual harassment and workplace culture stuff that's still, uh, still a problem. Microsoft has their hands full right now with Bobby Kotick on, on the Activision side, and now he's being sued again by New York. Like It's, it's bad. I don't know if Xbox wants to go back out there and grab another company that has more of those same t- type of headlines in them. I don't know if they want that problem again. I'm sorry. Maybe they'll work out a partnership with Ubisoft and put like the Ubisoft Plus subscription thing into Game Pass or something like that. I could see that happening. But I don't know if Xbox wants any problems with no Ubisoft. I don't think Sony does either. Like I said earlier, I think Sony is probably focused on Square, maybe Capcom, Konami, or potentially from software if those rumors last, uh, uh, whatever week that was, was true. I don't know how much Ubisoft's going to sell for. I don't particularly care. All I can really say about this is that hopefully this is a reality check for them, but, but knowing them, it might not be. You have to make games that appeal to gamers, not appeal to your pocketbooks. And to be so transparent about that. Look, every company wants to make money. That's a, that's a fact. But you got to do it in a way that's, that's somewhat righteous. That at least has something in it for the gamer. And Ubisoft has not done a very good job of that at all. So I'm not going to belabor this or beat a dead horse. I'm just going to say plain and simple. It says that Ubisoft has, is, has fallen off the wagon and they're not who they used to be. And they're certainly not who they think they are. And it's time for a major, major restructuring to happen at that company. And hopefully, an acquisition of some sort will trigger that. Because there are good parts of Ubisoft. It's not all bad. But it is time, high time, for something to change. And hopefully, within the next year or two, we'll be talking about a much different Ubisoft than the one that we've had to talk about for the last few years. But we'll have to wait and see. What you won't have to wait for is our main event of the show, which is our checkpoint chat. So let's go ahead and tag Pablo back into the show and let's get started. It's time for the checkpoint chat. All right. And so for the checkpoint chat, I have brought Pablo back from from parenthood. Well, he's, he's still doing the parenthood thing, but he's back right now. Son's asleep behind him. He's ready to talk about video games for a little while. He's got to, you got to whisper this or are you going to be able to talk normal? You got, you got this? No, yeah. Luckily, he's, uh, he, like a good son of mine, it's just perfect uh, matchup. He's a son of chaos. He, he, All uh, right, wait. <laughs> he, he, uh, what you mean? He actually, he does, he doesn't need like complete silence to sleep. And once he's, once he's down, he's down. Though I wouldn't be surprised if he gets up in the middle of this search crying oh, yeah. just to prove me wrong. Oh, yeah. It'd be be on brand. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully it's not because of your bad takes. Um, but let's go ahead and <laughs> let's get the checkpoint chat on the road. Actually, before we do that, 
Uh, I want to give you some some airspace, uh, if you will. Um, you know, listening to what I was talking about at the first half of the show, I wanted to kind of give you the floor to see if you had any thoughts about you know some of the games I was talking about, some of the news items, anything that piques your interest that you want to get into real quick. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the friend who uh, challenged you to play the Uncharted oh, games—that's no friend. That's a devil, right? That uh, that—that's mm-hmm. no friend. Uh, that is, that is, especially those first two games. Oh. No matter how much you love those games, having someone playing those games in twenty twenty two—that's—that's—that's that's torture. Especially that first game. That first game is—they are tiring horrible. games, bro. It, yeah, and I'm sure, and it's funny because uh, I'm sure when you played them, like if they were to. You know, at the time they came out, it was probably like, "Oh, this is unique and different." But Naughty Dog has evolved to to something completely different. This seems almost <laughs> embarrassing to them. You know, it's like some kid finding their own mixtape. <laughs> I can't relate to that at all. That's, that's not it's me. Like, Never did that. I was like, "Oh man, I used to rap." Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I want to talk real quick about Track Two, yeah. because you you had a take on it. Um, it was a game that re- really yeah, didn't uh, really didn't click with you, and I think all all yeah all the reasons you said kind of made a lot of sense. Um, but for me, it's clicking in other ways. Uh, like the art style is is absolutely like stunning for me. Um, I I am a fan of those Kurosawa mm. Japanese films and. And the camera work in those uh, in those games is very reminiscent yeah. of those movies, more so than the art style. Like just just like you know, you have the you have the the action happening in the background and, and, and stuff happening in the foreground and shadows. That's very much in that take, and that stuff to me, I think is 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 not getting enough credit. Um, I think what you said about the story is true for the most part, though it does uh it does get a little better. It, it's more di- it diversifies more it goes more into the consequences of blind rage and obsession and almost like a mm. hero complex to it because because of your vengeance you do things that actually drive you deeper into kind of issues with your your people and 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 it's it's it because you're so hell-bent on on being a hero and, and avenging death that it, it really Consumes just kind you. of uh it, it does evolve but it, yeah but i think ultimately uh you're spot on and when you call it a tropey mm. it is tropey but it does it, it takes a lot of different tropes and, and it's an amalgamation of a story that really works for me uh though i totally you know it's not mind-blowing in any way shape or form um combat is absolutely limiting uh it's not deep it's lacking implementation but it's lacking implementation not in concept uh i mean it's lacking in implementation mm. but not in concept i think the concept is smart it's just not implemented well which is like a super weird way to fuck up like it's like usually things that are messed up are messed up from concept the concept is there everything is good it's just the execution of it like you know with the pairing system and in the in the finisher system and then eventually you get a bow and arrow all that stuff there's just not a lot of uh there's not a lot of stuff that in, within game that, that feels satisfying to actually do those actions, so that does kind yeah. of suck. Uh, but last thing I will say, I think it's weird that combat is being weighed heavily with reviewers when other games like Death's Door and Tunic lack just as much Ooh, in that department. Open, I think when you talk about Tunic... You're onto something. See... Because I think when you talk about Tunic and Death's Door, a, a lot of people talk about game uh, game design and level design as, as, the, as the thing that you know, takes it over the top. But the thing that you do in Death's Door and Tunic is right. combat constantly, consistently. And the fact that it's not great and then in Death and Trek to Yomi is the same kind of thing. And I, I would say the art style is on par, if not excels more in terms of like 
when you talk about level design in mm-hmm. in, in Death Door, right? I think that is that I much agree. more great. And so, I, when you look at the seven three seven four in Open Critic, check to Yomi. I think that's correct. I think that's accurate. I also think that's what Death Door and Tunic should probably uh, be floating around because if the thing you do constantly is combat, and that's one of the most flawed things in the game, that's a problem. Like I I think overlooking that for You're other right. reasons is fine, but be consistent in that approach because it is super oh, weird man. that so much people are, are taking yeah, are taking dude. it to like glowing, loving the game itself, and then it's like, but the combat is not great. So. <laughs> five out of like GameSpot gave it a five out of ten i'm like geez like it's crazy it's not like it's it it could creep into my top 10 games of the year maybe but it's not a terrible game like no no way shape or form but yeah that's that's kind of my thoughts on 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 track to you so i I, i'm gonna finish it it's like four to six hours i'm almost towards the end of it already uh and to me that's you know for me that's weird you know playing a game so to the mm-hmm. end like that in, in such quick succession is, is isn't kind of my style of gaming but hey, i'm almost hey, there i'm not gonna I'm knock really, you for really that I, it. look it wasn't for me at all but i i, I totally understand where you're coming from and i appreciate yeah. the stray bullets at tunic and death's door i love that <laughs> i listen that's why we pod that's why we that's why we do a podcast um yeah and I like and I like I like Death Door and Tunic, but I, I mean it's fine. They're fine games. It's but they're not oh, like no. nines or eights yeah, or games of the year. That's crazy. The scale is weird there. Um, but what else you got? Yeah. So uh, one thing I and I heard you say in the in the uh, you know in the previous section about Square Enix that you might you thought that maybe I don't agree with you in certain aspects. I actually do. I, I think for the most part. I will say that where we're kind of we're defer a little bit is like the three hundred million. It's a lot of money for sure, but like considering the Tomb Raider IP, I don't think it's egregiously low. I just think it's like let's cut the weight off to make it more enticing to Sony. Low like that they 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 sold pretty quickly to. I think something's boiling yeah. there, like you yeah. know, in the works in terms of like. Uh, them so- selling their Japanese division to Sony, which I think it's probably what's going to happen. So, uh, but yeah, this deal means nothing to, to consumers. It's third party to third party. Uh, you know, every time uh, Xbox or Sony buys a studio, it's big deal because this the potential of having mm-hmm. that game be a, a a exclusive. Look at them buying Bungie. That was like a two day news cycle, and then when they're like, it's going to be on everything, everybody's like, never mind, this isn't interesting anymore. And you know, and, and I agree with you with with, the, with your takes on why Sony Xbox didn't buy them. I mean, look, look there's a there's a very recent example with Xbox paying $100 million to get Tomb Raider as a time exclusive, and it didn't do well numbers-wise. They're not going to cut that market off. They're not going to pay $300 million to then just make it exclusive and then not make money. So, you know, and like, I love Deus Ex, but that didn't sell well. They're right. not going to limit yeah. the audience yeah. uh, as an exclusive title. So it doesn't make any sense for a first-party team to buy basically a whole bunch of dead IP with Tomb Raider and, and, and a fan favorite day of sex. It's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, that's all, man. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, uh, you've been kind of holding the fort down with your uh, solo yeah, pods, man. and they've been pretty good. I've screamed <laughs> at a couple of them, been, been like, I no, can't lie. Some no. of them. Some your of Xbox them, rant yeah, was, was nice. Get a little spicy, but, you know, I, I, I had to. I had to. But I, I, you know, I'm sure I speak on behalf of a lot of listeners where I'm like, oh, it's, it's good to hear Pablo's voice again. They, that's how they sound, too, when they say it. <laughs> Yeah. That's how they all sound. That's crazy. Um, all right. So now that we got that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into the actual checkpoint topic. And this is going to be a first for us. We are going to do our first review checkpoint uh, segment. Uh, so basically, long story short, is Pablo and I uh, wanted to create a review scale for the games that we play. 
and we wanted to make it special for us. We wanted to kind of tie in the name of the show and also come up with a scale that makes sense for all of you if you're looking for recommendations or looking to be kind of talked off the ledge, uh, depending on the game. Uh, so we came up with a, 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 really, a really cool uh, review scale that we'll walk through real quick, and then we are going to unveil our first reviews uh, for this new review system. Well, we're going to do this segment uh, throughout the year as we kind of compile more games that we've completed and want to talk about, uh, and let you know. And I think the point of this is to kind of let the dust settle a bit on some of these games after we play them. Let some time pass. Let's get over, you know, kind of the hump when it comes to like the media coverage and the buzz and provide a balanced, um, well thought out review kind of postmortem and, and, and uh, give you guys a, a fair and balanced take on how we feel about these games. So that's kind of the idea here. Um, so before we start the reviews, here is the official Cooldown Time podcast review scale. Okay. It is as follows. So, if a game is just... Now, we call this the time scale for a cooldown time, right? So, every one of these is going to be uh, something, something time, okay? So, if a game is just straight up trash, we call it a terrible time. If a game is kind of bad and has a lot of you know issues, but you know it, it's it's got a little bit of good to it, but it's mostly kind of bad, it's a rough time. That's the second tier up. A game that's just kind of all right, it's in the middle, it's sort of mediocre, average at best, we call that an okay time. A game that is pretty fun, has some flaws, has some issues, could, be, could have some things done better for sure, but for the most part is a, a, very, a very good game, we call that a good time. If something is exceptional, something has very few flaws, it is a, it is a standout game of that particular year, maybe even of a generation, uh, it has a few minimal flaws, but nothing too crazy. We call that a great time. And for the games that just come along once in a blue moon, every so often, maybe once a generation, or maybe you know just a, once in a, in, in a lifetime, who knows? We call those timeless. And we don't hand that rating out too often. We, well, we're going to try not to. It's going to be our most prestigious award. Um, but that is the top of the line review. So to summarize, we have timeless, Great time, good time, okay time, rough time, and terrible time as our review scale. So, uh, yeah, and I don't, and I don't think for the timeless thing, I don't think that that's going to be something that we're going to forcefully give like one game a year. If there's a game, if there's no game that year that deserves exactly. it, it's not going to get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. that's like so, the, 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 like, yeah. For top sure. of like best of the best it's like the breath of the wilds it's the god of war 2018's red dead redemption 2's it's that kind of tier of a game that yeah, just and you'll, cannot yeah. be denied by almost anybody and you'll know and you'll know what that is because we're, we're, we won't oh, stop yeah. talking about the, that game That's probably right. throughout the year yeah all right pablo so with that being said we got the review scale out of the way let's go ahead and put it to use and let's start with a game that you and me both put in some, uh, a good amount of time into a game that came out with uh, a bit of a weird development story, some troubles happening, but it comes out. It's a, not quite what we thought it would be when it was first shown to us, but nevertheless, it came out, and it's Dying Light 2, Stay Human. Now, Pablo, I think the best way we can probably tackle this together is let's just kind of talk about what we liked. Let's talk about what we maybe didn't like so much. 
And then let's summarize at the end with what we feel about the game in closing and then slap a score on this thing. So um, if that sounds good to you, um, kind of walk me through some of the positives about this game, in your opinion, uh, as you've been playing it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a game that I kind of doubted, like, in terms of it being Yeah, you were big good, on that for a while, uh, I remember that. Let alone, yeah, because there was just so much when it came to the announcement of the game and kind of the way they... Just, just the way that they treated the, there's so much to happen with it. Delayed multiple times, and then just kind of the messaging was really, 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 really not yeah. good. Uh, they had this huge thing with like, get ready because we're gonna talk about this game, and it's gonna, and then all that was is basically them telling us this game is still happening. <laughs> yeah, we know that, but yeah, it, it, for me, it, it's a game that uh, caught me by surprise. I think one of the things that I, I even think is, I think I might enjoyed this game more than you did uh to, to a certain ass uh to turn uh, i think we're in the same we might have the like, same of, feelings like, about it the i game. think the takeaway might be a little bit different though but yeah 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 so uh, i'll start with the things that i love i i think that uh the setting of the game is really cool yep. i i think it's yeah, I think it's gorgeous. I, I I like the diversity between like just kind of different areas. I think it it really does a really great job. The play with the, the, the playground um, aspect I think, of it too with the parkour. It's just so yeah, well done. Yeah, the level design, yeah. all that stuff is awesome. Um, it, everything is is structured there for the parkour. So it's it just there's very rarely where you ever find a a a piece of the map that doesn't uh you know help that isn't kind of made for that parkour running it, it, it you you seamless running just and, and that brings me to the other thing that i love is the parkour I, you know a game that does something that is like it's hook you want it to you want that thing to, to to land and i think it landed for me in a way that i didn't even expect it to land because it feels so smooth matter of fact it, there's a long layoff between uh mm-hmm. me playing that and then elden ring came out and then coming back to dying light it was still smooth for me like it's just the controls and everything the way that they set it up really really works really well um I'll say that the sound oh, yeah. design is among the best of the year. Uh, and, and we're talking about a year that has Elden Ring, which that the sound design in that game, especially with the music, is really good. This is it does a really, really great job. Um, I, I think, you know, w- when looked at side missions and stuff like that, I, I, I think that kind of stuff sucks in open world games but i do like the 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 activities in this game i like that you can come back at night and, and go into like this base that you shouldn't go into during the day because it's like jam-packed with, oh yeah yeah with yeah, with, the, with the uh yeah it's a yeah I, I like that 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 thing and, I, and also the the customization of your character it's actually pretty good like you know you you can i i it's yeah, not it's like not, super no. deep but, but i but i did like i like that that added mm-hmm. layer of like you know you can spec your character to be a little bit more um, right. one thing than another right it's not just about plus you know, what you can get about speed from or, like you can do taking uh, over bases and choosing what faction you want to support you get different perks for that too with like one of right. them is yeah. more like yeah um, like more parkour skills and one is more like weaponry and stuff that's right. so yeah. that kind of makes it interesting too yeah yeah. Yeah, and, and that brings me to, to, to the thing, uh, a thing that I like in this, like, it's the story. I, I like a lot of it, though the promise of, like, 
the promise of this game, and, and this is this is their fault. They, they they promised a lot with Dying Light 2 in terms of what this was going to do with the story and how it was going to change uh, certain aspects and, and uh, of the map and all that stuff. And that never came to fruition. A, a lot of the choices that you made were pretty surface level and, and, and didn't really make a huge impact to the story in terms of the difference. There are certain aspects that are a little different, but ultimately, it's not that much of a different uh, story, Depend even yeah. if you pick a different uh, faction. And also, I think, you know... It- there's what faction I don't remember you the pick? name of the I think it's it, it's whatever like the rebellion is whatever those people are the bizarre or yeah, something yeah. like that that's the thing it, who, I don't know who picked Who's the cops picking? who picked All the cops, cops ain't nobody bad. picked the cops who wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying who wouldn't who wouldn't have wanted to like have upgrades on the I, on the yeah. one thing that they do yeah. all the time which is the parkour it, that, that that's kind of weird um and then besides the Rosario Dawson character LeJuan. I think the the characters yeah I, I think that the character uh, are really really boring. They just they're just vanilla. A lot of them, you know, they try to be interesting, and it just feels so forceful. And I like I, I like the conversation, and I like talking to people, and you know, advancing the story. That stuff was fine. It was never like, oh my god, this is a pain to to hear. It's not. It's not so much voice acting. It's just mm. they're bland, blandly written. Um, and then um, you know. I, I think the combat is fun, but it does get a tad repetitive. Yeah. Uh, and mission structures, the mission structure is cool, but there, uh, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, go here, switch this off, switch this on. Go a lot of the stuff that I didn't yeah. really like too much. And um, it's just it, it, it's it's a, it's it's a game that has a lot of good, a lot of pros, but a lot of cons mm-hmm. as well. It, there's it's it's not the it's not the game. It's not the perfect game that they kind of sold to us. Of course, everybody yeah. sells that. that. That's kind of the, what they are supposed to do. But it misses in, in parts like like the like the like the yeah, story that choices. Was, that was so disappointing. That's not a real thing. That that was yeah. And then just uh, certain little things here and there that, uh, uh, that I didn't just you know what I didn't to be like. Up. I didn't um, like the crafting. I didn't like any of that. That was just so oh, unnecessary yeah. to me. Yeah. Like that's a, that was a whole thing, and you're like, it really was. You're always collecting scrap and resources everywhere. Here's wires. Here's a here's a carburetor. Like why am I? What do yeah. I? Why do I have all of this in this game? <laughs> uh-huh. It just felt so unnecessary. Like I'd never crafted anything in that game. I might have like mod. I might have modded yeah. one of yeah. my weapons just to see what it does, but. I just picked up whatever I found I off I the street and I used that and I got through fine. It just felt like a unnecessary feature of like, oh, you know, modern games, they have crafting now and we have to do that. It just felt like too much. Yeah. And I, I don't remember. Was was crafting in the first game? I think it was, wasn't it? I, I didn't really. I think it might have. I, think I didn't it, play yeah, I a lot of the first game, to be honest. So this was my like first introduction. Crafting is equal parts. Yeah. Crafting is equal parts. This is what games have in 2022. And also, this is what games used to do in in two thousand and eight. Yes. You know, like it's it's equal. It's both those things. Um, yeah, it, it the game tries to it falls it falls in the whole open world it trying does. to do too yeah. much thing. There, there's a lot. I ended lot up mainlining it after yeah. a while. How much did you do? A lot of side missions. Uh, at the beginning, just like I do, and I just overwhelm myself yeah. with a lot of side missions. And then towards uh, when I met Luan, uh, yeah. was her Luan. Yeah, once I met her, yeah. I, I kind of streamlined the entire. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And, and what you said just now is that it, like how it feels like a modern game and an old game at the same time. I think that is the perfect yeah. summary of what this game is in my brain too, because it 
it for everything that it does that feels cutting edge or unique or you know special it has these elements that just feel so trite and stereotypical for not only open world games but just for like the it just feels old school in a lot of ways too like it's been in development for a while and there's just a lot of elements of that game that they decided to keep that just aren't as cool as they used to be anymore if that makes sense and um i just never um I think a lot of that, what's in that game is unnecessary. I think this would have actually been a, a, a better experience if they had had less side missions, but more meaningful ones instead. Instead of just having people hanging out on rooftops saying, hey, you, come here and help me run on the walls to catch the things. I had to get a, I had to go get a scarf for some weird lady that's, that thought she could sing in, in, in the bazaar, and it was like, okay... Oh yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Was, I, it was kind of funny, but I'm like, all right, I, you know, it's it's hard. This game can be hard sometimes, <laughs> you know. Even even when I marked it down on easy, I was like, okay, yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of running for my life a little bit here, and I'm I'm doing it for a scarf. Dude, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. If your mission, if that's the what you wrote as a mission structure, <laughs> like that's what we're doing. That's a problem. Yo. There's a game you're gonna talk about. And a little bit that has the same issue getting oh, toilet paper toilet for a paper. ghost. I don't know if you did that. Like, it, it's like, all right, what are we? Ghost what are we pooping. doing? Like, and that's what it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what do you um, think? I um, I'm trying to think. If there's anything else that I want to mention here? I um, I think you covered most points. Oh, how about the glider? I actually didn't like it. I think it's the most it disappointing glider in all of video like, games. It's, like, it's so, first of all, it's so gamified because of the, uh, you can yeah. see the air blowing up through the, and it's just totally yeah, unrealistic. Yeah. Like, what is causing that draft and it, to be so bad? Right. And it takes away, and it, I mean, that city is <laughs> gassy. I mean, but like, it just, <laughs> it takes away from the whole experience up to that point because there's nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, up front, you know. Uh, and then it gets to the point where it's the, like, okay, what? And it's it's so unsatisfying to jump off a building, open that parachute, up, and then just immediately know, be on the ground dude. like seven oh. seconds, like point Bro, seven know, like, seconds you, later. You can yeah. you can get more abilities and kind of hang in the air longer, but like, it just didn't feel all that good. I was like, you know, it, again, it's stuff like that mm-hmm. where it just the game feels creaky to me, like old and creaky and in, in, or yeah. archaic in some ways. Um, yeah, stuff, little stuff like that did bother me. Oh, I do want to say narratively you talked about some things there the voice acting in this game is also hysterically bad remember the kid like when they're they're kids the flashbacks bro oh, the kids the kids are terrible <laughs> that i forgot about that dog i and it's like i'm a 42 year old woman trying to sound like and they a, had like dialogue a like like they were like you know this this old seasoned you know long living person of of like dropping yeah. gems about life and she's bad. like five like what do we it's bad, right? Like that. That reminds me uh, off subject here, as I, as I usually do. I just saw Ozarks, uh, which I love that show. And the the problem with that show is the writing is phenomenal. But when they're writing for Mexican cartel members who happen to speak un poquito <laughs> English, but yet what the things they're saying yeah. in, in English is like like I don't even talk like that, and I, my English is pretty good. I don't even like. How are you saying these things? And your Spanish is and your English is not too good looking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's a weird. Uh, that's kind of how these games do. Where it's like, why are you five? Or why are you talking about life in that way? And why do you sound like For my grandmother? Real. You know, it's, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's tough, man. Because I think it, I love 
I love this game more than its quality probably deserves um, because of the things that it does do so well with parkour. And, and I do enjoy the combat a lot. And I do think Lawan is a character. I think she's going to show up in some of our game of the year conversations with some of the categories, as Absolutely. is the, the inertia of running and then the music hitting while you're, you're doing your parkour and all that syncing together. That's just, that's some Absolutely. incredible stuff. It's so good. <clears throat> I thought it was so good that I thought it was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> like the first time it happened, I'm like, okay, I just happened to hit a good, you know, the soundtrack hit at a yeah, really good dude. moment and at a really dope time. And then it kept happening. And then I looked it up and then you showed me that video of how they actually purposely have a yep. system in place to keep you engaged with music. And I it love is, that stuff. I mean, that is, they spent, I, I'm sure that they must've spent years on that. Cause that, that sound that design is, is awesome. so underrated that really in games awesome. in general. And, and the fact that they could not only come up with something like that, but have an entire system under the hood devoted to that shows the amount of attention and love they really had for sound design in that game. And I think it shows, uh, if only the voice acting was as good as, you know, some of those sound cues. Yeah. But um, nevertheless, man. That's what happens when you also like hire people from your That's country. Nice start the American. <laughs> I love, I love cheeseburgers. I am an American. Oh my God! <laughs> Chevrolet trucks are my favorite. Why do we sound? <laughs> why do we sound like young here right now? By the way, um, anyway. Um, oh no! GM. <laughs> let's let's get off that before there's mass protest. Um, so <laughs> the disillusioned. So let's give a disillusioned uh, score for Dying Light Two with a summary as to why. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump out first here. Yeah. Um, I think that there's uh, a lot of charm to this game when it comes to the things that it does right. Um, it has, to Pablo's point, a great open world, excellent parkour, fun combat, um, a campy but mostly okay story that definitely screams cut content and missed opportunities. Um, True. And I think that a lot of the game is fluffy and unnecessary. The side missions aren't very compelling. The crafting system is bloated and unnecessary. But I still think at the end of the day, the game wrapped up in a fashion that made me walk away very satisfied, uh, despite some of its average-ish nature. Um, I, I will say that my rating is going to be that it's an okay time. Um, I do really, really like this game a lot. But I know that if I were to go back and play this game again, there's a lot of components of this game that make me kind of go, "Ugh, I got to do that again." Oh yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go find yeah. three pieces of chamomile <laughs> to make a healing item. You know what I mean? Stuff oh. like that would just kind of make me drag yeah. my feet if I were to replay it again, and that's a big test for me now. Um, so I think for that, it has some really good moments. It has some really unnecessary moments, and I think that all just sort of cobbles together into an experience I think is just kind of. All right. It's not great. It's not bad. It's just kind of in the middle there for me. So I say it's an okay time. What do you got? Yeah, I, I'm finding myself to be really big on tell me what you are and then prove it to me. So I think when I look at Dying Light 2 uh, and, and everything that it's trying to be, uh, an open world game with parkour at the forefront, uh, its story, its combat, all that stuff is really, it's all there and, and it works mm. really well together and i think because of that uh i i'm gonna hey. go ahead and give it a good time i i think you're right i think a lot of uh, uh it feels old and new it has a lot of stuff that isn't perfect but i think that the good outweighs the bad for me here um 
you know, a lot of the stuff that I didn't like, I just was able to avoid it completely. And 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 mainlining the game, I never felt like I was missing out on anything. You know, I I always felt like uh, I was getting, I was doing what the game wanted me to mm. do, and I was uh, it was satisfying to me going through that game in, in the way that I did, especially through the latter half. Uh, for, so for me, yeah, definitely a good time. Um, and and uh, it's, a, it's probably my biggest yeah, surprise okay. of the year so far in terms of how much I like the game, in terms of how much I was ready to 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 just kind of take a huge <laughs> pile of baby shit on it. My Kaka, my baby sh- my baby Kaka shit on it. Um, but uh, nah, man, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, and, and and hopefully that review is helpful for people that have kind of been on the fence. A lot of people that saw the reviews being so mixed and wanted some a different perspective from two people that um, you know gave it time, thought about it, let it breathe, let it marinate, and came up with something that might hopefully help y'all make a decision if you see it on sale. If, I think if you see it on sale at some point, or if it drops on Game Pass or something down the road, yeah. No, it's been. And it's been on sale a few oh, times yeah, I already. Think I think uh, it's good. I think it's a good time. For, uh, well, it's a good time for Pablo. It's an okay time for yeah. me, but I think it is just in general terms. It's it's all right. But also, let, let's... And and especially now, because circumstance... Your circumstance is very important. Like, it's a, it's going to be a pretty long lull here. It's going to be a long summer. And if you're looking... If you're done with Elden Ring and you're looking for a game to kind of, you know, to keep you busy, Dying Light 2 is... Nah, you can't man. go wrong with Dying Light 2. For you sure, could do yeah. a lot worse than that, for sure. All right, man. Dope. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the second game that we're going to be reviewing today. This one's, uh, this one's on your plate. So I'm going to kind of turn the floor over to you. I'm going to kind of interview you here a little bit. Um, and uh, the game you got going on is Sifu. Um, figured this would be a good one to talk about since it just dropped a new difficulty patch to give people more options to get used to the game, which I think is really nice to see. Uh, so it would be a good time to talk about this in case people are kind of circling back and thinking about picking up Sifu again, um, if they haven't already. So I want to start with, um, I actually want to start with getting some of the bad stuff out of the way first, Pablo, because, um, I think this is a really, this is a really strange game to a lot of people, myself included, because... I'm on the fence as far as, like, I don't know if I can handle a game like this. I don't know if it's too hard, if it's too this, too that. So talk to me about kind of what some of the shortcomings are of this game before we get to uh, what what really stuck out to you in a good way. Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's a little bit, it can feel a little bit repetitive. Interesting, okay. Um, because of the nature of the game itself, you have to do a lot of repetition. But that's not what I'm talking about specifically. What I mean is, towards the latter half of the uh, of the game, uh, you're doing the same things, albeit in really cool different locations. Uh, but the stylish combat does that. That facade does fade a little bit because it just it, it, that coupled with the difficulty of the game, it, it it's not. It's not like Elden Ring or like a FromSoft game where, you know, you're going into this and it's difficult. But it's the repetitive nature of that game. It has you learning the game, right? Learning how yeah, to play yeah. it, learning how to how to fight. And Sifu is the same way. The problem with Sifu is that its its combat scheme is just it's a little bit complex. In, in, in to a certain extent and there's a little little things at play like mm-hmm. your age factor and that stuff if you come into a situation where you're late in age uh and and at, at that point you're 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 in a really difficult spot uh it just becomes a real mm. kind of a bad time to the point where you just want to restart to the beginning uh and 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 start your age and try to get your age now down. Let me, and that's kind of the let hook let me of the stop game. you real quick and, and ask you one quick thing yeah 
for an average gamer, if you had to kind of estimate this, how long do you think it would roughly take a person to kind of get used to the controls you talked about and just the general challenge of that game? Do you think it's like something people can get used to in two or three hours? Do you think for an average gamer it's going to take a little bit longer than average because it's a certain type of game that we haven't seen quite like this before? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think in terms of that, it's probably a couple hours, okay. two or three hours to really get wrap your head around the combat okay. system. The problem is, is situ- it's, it's situational. That's the issue. It's if you are going through the level, right, and you find a key to unlock a shortcut, and then, you know, you get to that shortcut, fine, and you get deeper into the level. Uh, but if you've died a few times up front, and you haven't unlocked the, the shortcut of that level, and you're deep in the middle of that game, and you're at age 50, 60 years old, uh, at that point, regardless of you having your head, your, your head wrapped around the combat system, the older you get, the 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 less the the smaller your health is, uh, and uh, the harder you hit though because of experience. Mm, okay. it, uh, that's kind of like one of the hooks as well. And so if you're in the middle of that game, it doesn't matter if you have your head wrapped around the, the combat system. You're already up against the wall uh, because you have you know you have a boss that's coming up. You have the second the the fourth or fifth level that's coming up, and you're already in sixty. It, it puts you in a weird like frame of mind where it's like, okay, I'm in my twenties in level three. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling good. I'm in my 60s or in 70s or that's really bad. In my 60s and level three, I have a problem. It's going to be difficult for me to get there. So it's 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 just one of those things where it's all situational. And if you are on a roll and you're at age 20, level one, you start at, age, uh, at level 19. Every time you die, you gain a year. And every time you die, it doubles. So if you die once, you gain one year. If you, and then you die two times, then you gain two years. You die three times, you gain three years. If you die f- the fourth time, it's four years. Like that's how that that's how that works. So if you're in a bad situation, it don't matter if you have your your, your head wrapped around the, the combat. It just isn't fun anymore. So that's one of the issues that I had with the game okay. specifically in that. Yeah, way. no, that does. I don't that know if that does. answers your yeah, question. Because I think I think if I'm looking at this from like, okay, I, do I want to buy this game? Do I do I really want to take on the challenge of this? I have to kind of know like. Is it going to be a thing where I, eventually I'll get used to it, or am I just going to you know throw my arms up at some point and go? I don't know if I'm ever going to understand how this game is, what this game expects out of me. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, so yeah, for sure. I mean, the first few hours you'll get the hang of it, but I mean, and this may be a turnoff, but about mm-hmm. hour of ten, okay. you got it down back. Okay, you know, uh, but it is muscle memory. So if you step away from it for a while, it's going to okay. be difficult to come back to it. But yeah, I mean, look. I will say this, and let me talk yeah, about kind of it, things that it. I like about the game. I think the, the stylish combat is absolutely amazing. I think that uh, it's difficult, but it's rewarding at the same time. Um, I think visually, it, the game does a lot with its art style. Like, they, they really stretch that out to, to the point where, you know, it's definitely a budget title, uh, but it doesn't really feel like that many times when you're playing it. You know, you, a lot of these games, you see the budget, right? You see, okay, they they, they, they cut corners here because of the fact that they don't have that money. So what they did is in that in the Sifu, everything is built in a way that mm. seems bigger than what it is. So it, it, it feels like quality. Um, the progression system is, 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 is double-edged sword. I think it's brilliant. I, I think it's genius, really. But I, I, I do think it puts you in situations where what we talked about, it just makes sure, the game yeah, not fun yeah. in certain aspects. Um, and, and the bo- boss battles are awesome. I, I think each of the boss battles are unique and different. One thing that I do like is each level uh, is different, uh, but the levels do get 
as they progress, they get a little bit more fantastical, and that really does work for it because it, it you know by level by the third mission you're you're getting a little bit tired on the just the realistic ver- you know just kind of what they're trying to do with the visual mm. effect and all of a sudden it, it becomes more they're doing things where you're in the dark and things are coming at you jumping out like and you're fighting that, mm. that stuff especially in, in the third level specifically uh the museum there's level, five levels it is awesome in the game? they really do really okay there's five total okay. levels yeah um they do really really dope shit in that way um it, it, it's just it's a weird it's a you feel it's a weird game and it is a weird game because the things that work for it can also work against it and i don't think in in my opinion it's just one of those things where it's it's it there's no fixing this it's just you're gonna have a bad role you're gonna have a bad time and it's if you are or if you're older in age and you're in a really difficult spot it is what it is it just feels like you're you're climbing a a hill that 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 doesn't it's not worth it because if you're at level four and age 70, I mm-hmm. mean, you're not going to make it, you know? And so it feels kind of like, you know, it, it feels bad. But at the same time, when you first play the game, you get to level two, you're age 30, you're like, oh, I'm freaking pretty good. But the cool thing is going back to level one, unlocking all those shortcuts, getting yourself to the boss battle quicker mm-hmm. and not dying or going into level two at age 21, which is fantastic. And then level two at age 25, uh, level three, age 25, you're in, you're in a good, you know, you're in a good, uh, you're in a really good spot there. So it's very circumstantial. Um, the story, not, not nothing to speak of. Same thing. Your, fa- your father <laughs> dies, vengeance. It's, it, it, it's not really trying to, to, to be, it's not really trying to be like this, story heavy thing but it is very like uh pulp oh, okay. fictiony like you know it's very like pulp like a uh, b movie type which really works really well for it like all the all the bosses are like are are very much a, a character like you have a bot the botanist who cares for mm. plants and you have like the the artist who you know is is an art is an artist but also an assassin you have the executive or the boss as they call it that that person is obviously an executive okay. but also you know and the settings really work for it in that way but yeah it, it's a great game i i think it's it's one of the most uh one of the most interesting titles of the year um, it, it's a game that's been talked about for a long time. One of those indie games that people are putting a lot of stock into, and is this going to be? And it is. I think it, it really, it really does a lot good. Um, and for, and for a game that uh could have gone horribly bad, or could have been absolutely just boring and nonsensical, like a like a like a yeah smash him up, right? You know, like a beat him up. With, with with no interesting factors like if this was an, a beat em up with none of the interesting factors none of the difficulty and just going from level one to level five it would be boring <laughs> and trash and it's not that it's it's ingenious in a lot of ways and for that i hey, think it is right. a, good time. a good time we got two for two with the yeah. good times um cool yeah. yeah man um yeah i mean just you know looking at kind of where they came from with making that game absolver uh way back when and seeing how they have evolved yeah. since that point um, I'm, I'm glad to see that this one turned out good. Um, I'll probably pick it up when it's on sale. Um, cause I, I, it, I, I don't have my should. eye I, on it right I, yeah. this second. I think I'll wait for it to drop a little bit. And especially now that there's lower difficulty options, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable with getting used to the game and then trying to come at it at its normal difficulty. Once I kind of, you know, feel like I've, I've, I've learned a little, a little bit about the game. Yeah. And, and thought it was really cool, rewarding stuff, and little, little a lot of secrets. Like you can, you have to kill all the bosses, but once you kill them the first five times, you can go back and spare each one of them and get a whole different ending. So okay. it, there's a lot of cool stuff nice. like that. So uh, it's a, I, I think it's, it's if you like 
difficult games and you like games with interesting progression systems and, and games that that really understand themselves and what they're trying to do i think you should definitely sounds pick this good up. man all right so i'll go ahead and tag in for the last review of this episode um and i'm going to be talking about ghostwire tokyo um so this one leading up to release was seemingly another weird what is bethesda doing with this game kind of thing coming off the heels of death loop and that sort of being a weird one um, I really didn't know what to expect out of this game. And, and honestly, I, I, I really had no intention of buying it. Um, but I kind of caught myself in a moment of boredom and I needed a bit of a rest from Elden Ring at that point. And I wanted to just kind of goof around in an open world and do some stuff. And I wasn't looking for anything super profound or, you know, like life changing. I just wanted something I can go do and, and explore and just, um, play something a bit weird and different. And Ghostwire kind of ended up checking all those boxes for me in the moment. Um, so I went and bought it. And I have to say, um, it's interesting that I talked about Dying Light 2 because I think this game, in a lot of ways, is is almost Bethesda's Dying Light, in my opinion. It's 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 a lot of... It's, it's very similar quality overall. Uh, it's got the same sort of quantity of good things and bad things um, that Dying Light 2 had. Of course, they're much different things. I'm just saying, you know, cumulatively, it's it feels like it's about the same quality game. Um, but it is very different. And, I, I, and that's kind of the first strength that I wanted to talk about is just how unique and eerie this game is. And I wasn't expecting to really like that too much. I thought that coming into this Tokyo and it's, oh, oh, nobody's here anymore. Everyone's kind of gone to the rapture, I guess. I don't know what's going on. Everybody's gone. It's all isolated and weird. You can hear music off in the distance and stuff. I didn't think that really mattered to me too much. But when I got in this world, I was like, oh, this is kind of dope. I like this feeling of being alone in a big city, um, not knowing what's waiting for me at at every corner. Um, And I think the game also maybe even accidentally does a good job of not explaining everything too much either. So it does feel a bit like there's a bit of mystique to the game as well. Um, and I really appreciated the atmosphere that that came from that. So that was a huge one for me that really, in a lot of ways, carried me through a lot of the experience. Um, I would also say that even though the story is also a negative, I did like the fact that the buddy cop sort of relationship between uh, the lead character and this ghost cop that's infused into your hand <laughs> is <laughs> KK. Yeah, KK. I liked that. That was actually kind of cool. It was a it was it was a neat little, if not shallow, little you know buddy cop sort of story between the two of them. Um, I think it was smart to have a companion character to the lead character because the lead character is boring um, and looks Another. boring too. But um, I did like the fact that they had that kind of dynamic there. Um, and I did feel that the, even though it's tropey and cliche and very Japanese of, of, of the story, uh, I did like some of the, some of the Japanese folklore uh, with like the ghosts and apparitions and the beads and all the you know the different stuff that they incorporate into the story, I thought that was really cool, uh, and it really made it feel real uh, or, or more you know more at, they were striving for a little bit more Japanese accuracy in some respects, right? I mean, obviously it's it's off the wall too, but um, there was some of that there that I really liked, and it made it feel unique. Um, 
And I'd say also um, the side mission stuff, while Pablo mentioned earlier, like some of them are like just super dumb. <laughs> um, for some reason, they're, they're, they don't overstay their welcome either. And I like the fact you can kind of go do something, a tread around the corner, come back, get your reward. It's not like you have to travel all the way across the map to go do something, come all the way back and get, you know, 50 XP or whatever it is. Like, I, I like the fact that they're kind of in and out and they have like one, once, once in a while, they'll have like a side mission that's a little bit longer that has a little bit more exposition to it. And I like the fact that they scatter those in between as well. But I still say that they're mostly not worth your while, uh, if I'm being honest. Um, and the last thing is, is um, I, I never get, I never take the bait on stuff like this, but there's spirits that are kind of um, floating around that you can collect and cash in for XP. Uh, they're all over the map. And for whatever reason, this is one of those games where that sort of thing just works. Um, and any other game that does stuff like this, I would never, I would never do this thing. But I, for some reason, you walk by, you see spirits floating in the air, you can hold up this little, you know, thing made out of paper, and the spirits will come into your paper, and then you can go take the paper to a phone booth. Look, don't ask questions. I know it's weird. Uh, <laughs> and you can get a lot of XP for that. Uh, but for some reason, it, it, it reminded me of Crackdown with, like, collecting orbs uh, that are, like, on the roof over there or in the alleyway over here, and for some reason I just, I just bought into that and it was actually kind of fun and it encouraged me to kind of explore beyond just the mainline paths. Um, but I did end up mainlining it. I think that's because it, I think it does feel yeah. palatable. That's why. I mean, I, I, I scratched the surface for this game, so that's why I'm not really saying anything about it. Cause I, 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 it, maybe I'll go back to it because it like, because of the same mm -hmm. reason, it feels like a very consumable piece of content. And so playing the game myself, there's the side missions never felt like yeah. I was going out of my way to do something. It just, it, it just, everything is done within that area. Like it, it's, it, yeah. it, it respects your time and it's not a huge map at all. So it's, it's, it's exactly. a palatable experience. And I feel like that's a really, really, uh, it's a that's very a good yeah. lane to be in, man. You, know, exactly. you don't have to be the, it's very inoffensive. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not here to just suck up all the time that you possibly have to play a video game. That's right. Um, but I think also being inoffensive is also part of its downfall too. Uh, cause it, it, it I wish sure. it was a little bit more willing to be creative from a gameplay standpoint because the gameplay is a bit bland and it is what I thought it was. Um, a lot of cool looking hand and finger gestures to do basically basic stuff. Uh, somebody's car alarms going off. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just irritating to me that that's what the game amounted to after all that time of watching those trailers, seeing all the cool moves and flashy explosions and stuff, and it just turned yeah. into something that's just essentially the same as firing a gun in, in, in so many words, right? Yeah. So I wish that they had kind of locked in on that more. They had done more with that. You had more different elements that you can use to shoot with. You got a fire gun with your fingers. You have a wind gun, a water gun with your fingers. It's. I wish they'd done more than that. Um so that was a bit disappointing. Um, performance in this game is really, really off. Um, there's six different graphical modes. I'd say one or two of them are okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, like it's, it's totally unnecessary and most of them are junk. Um, so I, I just think the game is very poorly optimized. Even though it looks good visually, like the, the, the whole running good portion of it is not the best. So... 
Yeah, and, and the weird stuff yet you, you had to go into the, if your if your computer if your monitor or TV doesn't support 120 uh, hertz, then you have to go in there and turn <laughs> so it off stupid. because the game would naturally run at 1080 instead of 4K for no reason. Just yeah, it man. B- so optimized. that's a real big letdown for me. Um, the last thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, it it's a super interesting because so. Sony had this game as an exclusive, along with with uh, Deathloop. With mm-hmm. um, Deathloop and Deathloop, definitely, you know, I can see why Deathloop maybe got its why they they, they kept it, but um, it just felt kind of weird that that Sony, after even the purchase, Sony's like, <laughs> yeah, we're riding with this because it, it just it's inoffensive, but it's also it's very forgettable. forgettable. Like it is May. It came out in March, and I don't know anybody who's talking. But like when you said I'm going to review Ghostwire Tokyo, in my head I'm like, what game is that? Okay, it's yes. true though, it, man. Like it, it, took me it a just didn't to kind get, of like, it didn't yeah. catch it didn't catch fire, and it, a lot of people are going to blame it because of you know, well, Elden Ring kind of made everybody look, you know, I, I, yeah. No, I don't know if I buy that. You. I think I, I'm not going to I'm not going to give every excuse as Elden Ring. I'm not doing that this year at all. Um, a game is a game; it stands on its own regardless of what else comes out around it. So I do think, yeah, you're right. No, no, this game this game is not as good no, as, no, it's not. as Horizon Forbidden West or even, for me, or even Dying Light 2 for me. So it's like, I, I think those games would have still made me forget Ghostwire yeah. Tokyo Yeah, easily. I mean, and, yeah. And, I, and I think the, the last thing um, that is forgettable is the story, um, speaking of which. So I don't want to spoil too much, um, but the, the antagonist's, faction in that game turns out to be something very uh less than what i thought um (laughs) and and, and, um i get what they were trying to do but it makes the story go from feeling cool and mysterious with these weird masked figures that are kind of jacking into the city and talking to you through like building tv screens like Times square sort of stuff and then you realize who they actually are under the masks and you're like oh well that's kind of underwhelming so it takes a lot of the like the the scariness out of the game but i will say the scares i forgot to mention that um with the positives like the fear type of moments that happen in that game where like the chairs are all oh, fold yeah, up yeah, yeah, or yeah. like weird effects will happen on the screen that stuff is really really good and i love that they don't do it all the time they are very meticulous about when they introduce those like supernatural looking elements in there but man those are good those are really good it kind of made me miss fear. Oh yeah, which is an yeah, underrated, underrated series for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall, um, looking at this game for everything it is, for everything it is not, I um, I land kind of where I landed with Dying Light too. I kind of tipped my hand earlier um, by saying they're similar in my brain because I think they're this one's an okay time too. I think there's a lot that this game does that is very interesting and cool. Um, I do think the game just kind of falters when it comes to the actual gameplay and the performance and the the main conflict of the game uh, falls a bit flat for me too. Uh, I also forgot to mention the enemy variety is terribly low. It's like five different enemy types, period. And you see you them got all like all. in the first five minutes you got of the game. All and of then... them already. There's like a weird schoolgirl <laughs> skipping around, a Slenderman looking dude with an umbrella that's like walking at you fast. It's like it it. I don't know. So I, I think I think they had something really cool, but I think this game's vision must have went through a blender at some point in development. Well, we, we had there was like reports saying that the game changed in terms of like, the, yeah, like it was oh, supposed yeah, to be yeah, a lot right, more of a right, horror yeah. game. I think yeah. I think I feel that for sure. 
Um, the game still turns out to be a really fun time. It was one of those comfort food games for me this year um, that didn't have to be great and didn't have to set the world on fire. It just had to be fun and had to be a little right. unique and, and keep me interested. And I think its weirdness and its atmosphere and some of its uh, use of Japanese uh, like supernatural folklore and spiritual stuff was really, really cool. Um, but I do think a lot of this game, uh, just kind of ended up sort of in the, in the mediocre territory overall. I'm not saying I don't think people should buy this game. I think people should probably wait till it drops in price. Maybe if it ends up on, if it ends up on I'll Xbox wait, next year, yeah, it on, game up pass. on Game Pass, that's a, it will, cause it's, I think, right? yeah, 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 so it, it will, yeah, I, yeah. And it's owned by, right. it's owned so by Xbox. I, I don't so. think there's any rush to go out there and grab it unless you're absolutely bored and have nothing to play or you just want a comfort food game like I did. But yeah, I'm going to give this one a, a, just an okay time. So um, that's what I got, man, cool. uh, for uh, for this video game. So hopefully that was cool. Hopefully that was helpful for all of you who have had some of these games on your radar. Um We'll continue to do more of these. Um, we'll 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 add a couple more as, like I said, as we keep finishing games and we've kind of compiled our final thoughts about them. We'll do more of these in the future and uh, tell you how we're feeling about some of the biggest games of the year. But Pablo, I think it's going to do it for this episode, man. Um, if you liked our show, if you like us, if you think Pablo's baby deserves fans. The best way to do it is to be a fan of our show because we'll give you updates on how he's doing every week and Pablo will probably tweet about him or something. So do that by following us on Instagram at Cooldown Time Podcast or Twitter at Cooldown Time Pod so that will always be in your FOV and give our podcast a sub if you enjoyed this too. On behalf of Pablo, I'm Marco. Thanks for tuning in and we're going to see you next week. So long.